Okay, I'll tell you what. I'll go to the meeting, all right? And if I don't like what the man says, then I won't take the job. Now you're lying to me. All right, look, young lady, I'm going to go to this job interview on Monday, whether you like it or not. Wait, this Monday? Yes. Ollie, you can't go on Monday. Why? Because that's the day of my show. Well, it's at four, so I can, I, you know, I can just get make it back in time. But my show's at five. On what planet are you going to get back here by five if you got a meeting in the city at four? Just lay off me for a second. I forgot about the show. How could you forget? Would you stupid? Gertie, this job is very important to Daddy. What about my show? Isn't that important to you? Yes, honey, that's even more important to me. Then don't go to your stupid meeting about your stupid new job in the stupid city. All right, that's enough, young lady. You know what? I'm not even watching the show anymore. You're not even a good swimming tight anyway. Pop's way better. Even Uncle Green and Uncle Black are better than you. Those men are not your uncles! Oh, no, but we're good enough to build sets for a show, right? I got it. Sorry, I mean that. Where are you going? I don't want to be around you. I don't even want you to come to the show to watch it, either. Oh, come on. I don't. You're not allowed to come because I don't even like you anymore. Get back here, young lady. Hey! No. I'm talking to you! Hey, young lady! Get back here, young lady! No, you can't tell me what to do. I don't have to do anything you say. Yes, you do. Why? Because I'm your father, that's why. So what? Don't you yell at me, Gertrude. I'll yell at you all I want, blah, blah, blah. Right, that's it. You are moving to the city, and you're going to like it, and that's the end. I hate you. I hate you. I wish you died, not mommy. I hate you right back, you little shit. You and your mother took my life away, and I just want it back. Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike. And we continue our trilogy in the month of February with what I consider to be the worst Kevin Smith film when I first watched it. But now, as an adult, and having stepped away from his filmography for some time, I think Jersey Girl might be my favorite Kevin Smith film. Where are you on this one, Mike? You got old. You got old, Web. You got old. You had a kid. And I had a daughter. Yeah, you had your own little Jersey girl, and then, you know this is this is what happens. All the all the taste and good judgment goes out the window for small <laughs> to age and children. For sentimental. <laughs> so I um, guarded my heart a little bit when it came to Jersey Girl upon this release. I saw the reviews, which were pretty savage. I know. Mr. Smith himself blamed, you know, he's quick to point a finger when he gets on the, the keyboard or I guess behind the mic when he started podcast, but he was pretty early on the internet for, for assigning blame for, for his many failures. And, uh, I guess, you know, right now it's, it's topical for us that, uh, you know, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez are an item again. And that, I remember that was really Kevin Smith's thing when it, when it failed at the box office was that they came post, Ben and Jen, or that version of Ben and Jen, and nobody wanted to see it, which, eh, I mean, maybe there were some people, but I do feel like in the trailers and the marketing when it actually released, they they were actively trying to hide Jennifer Lopez, like, whatever sort of 
uh, twist it would have been initially uh, when people were excited to see them on the cover of People Magazine or Us Weekly or whatever. Um, by the time this movie came out, they were letting you know, no, 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 J-Lo dies. She dies quick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they move on from that fast. The post-production on this film especially is really something else. Uh, Kevin really loved the material because he based it on his experiences as a father and also his experience uh, meeting his wife, Jennifer. Uh, and, and you know, it's it's hard to sell people on the, oh, we just fell in love right away and it was just kind of perfect. That's that's hard to sell and that's hard to put into a movie. Uh, but that, that was kind of his experience with her and then his experiences with his daughter. So that's what's on screen. And originally you have an extra like 30 minutes. So the first act of this film was completely lopped off because of that. Uh, the film was being touted as this is going to be an awards contender. It's going to make a butt ton of money and earn Oscars. That's where this film was. And Kevin was a little apprehensive about all of that. And Ben Affleck originally wanted to work for no money and 15% of the profits, which uh, Harvey Weinstein said no to. You know why? It's because that's what Robin Williams did for Goodwill Hunting. He worked for nothing up front and 25% of the profits. But as soon as that film started making money, Harvey pulled it early from the theaters. And so Ben was like, no, nah, he knew what, you know, the kind of businessman Harvey Weinstein was. So his, uh, and, and Kevin Smith jokes about making Ben work for peanuts, but Ben was paid 10 million for this film up front. And Jennifer was paid 4 million. And then during that, the post production is when the Benefer stuff started happening. Sorry, I'm just like giving you a ton of information. I hope you don't mind. All I'm hearing is that Robin Williams uh, made Ben Affleck a lot of money twice over. <laughs> Once for making his career with Good Will Hunting, yeah. uh, Green and Bean, and then setting a precedent that saved Ben Affleck from pushing all of his chips on the table for Jersey Girl. <laughs> Certainly. What happened, though, is Ben Affleck was kind of like a, a big deal, a really darling kid from Boston who wrote Good Will Hunting, you know? And then all of a sudden, when his relationship with jennifer lopez became a big uh publicity uh not nightmare but because it, it was front and center in front of everybody and then he was in that uh, jenny from the block music video and that came out and all of a sudden when kevin and and scott Mosier, the producer on all of kevin's films and his co-host on smodcast uh well once upon a time at least saw it uh scott Mosher had a lot of reservations and he said that this is going to be a disaster and kevin's like why and scott mentioned that well this there goes his uh, relatability um he he's no longer the kid from boston who wrote goodwill hunting he's now in a music video uh wearing fancy clothes uh, a rubbing suntan lotion on one of the most richest individuals in, on the planet and no one's going to believe this guy's a fucking garbage man and that's kind of what happened. Uh, they went over over a year in post-production, test screening after test screening, every single time changing the film up to the point where that first 30 minutes of him and J-Lo pretty much completely lopped off. And that's literally what happened. Is people were, And then, of course, Gili came out, $75 million budget, made $7 million. So, and Harvey Weinstein was trying to get that movie... Uh, delayed, but Sony was like, nah, we're gonna put this in. He was like, well, we only have J-Lo in the first, like, third of the film. You guys get her for the whole thing. Like, this would be an appetizer for Geely. He's trying to sell. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> the, 
The uh, estimation of Jersey Girl here is is amazing, uh, which I know you you open saying that now this has uh, become your favorite. I when I finally came around to it, I thought that's not quite as bad. Uh, clearly, the you know the knives were out. Uh, there was a little bit of comeuppance for the wild success of this you know power couple in Hollywood, and uh, I guess I would disagree with Mosier in that. Ben Affleck was never going to be believable. Uh, once he was, once he was in a Michael Bay movie, he was never going to be believable as some sort of everyman uh, with the garbage truck. I think they handle it fine, and that he always thinks he's better than what he's doing. That George Carlin grounds that uh, with the, the supporting characters and his group of friends, uh, led by the uh, the assassin from Dumb and Dumber, uh, Mike Starr. Look, I mean, the ultimate problem with this movie is not Ben Affleck. It's not J-Lo, uh, certainly not Liv Tyler, who I, I wish had been in more roles like this. She usually was cast in that sort of reserved, sullen, kind of shy girl that everyone sort of is pining for or wants to protect. Uh, and here she's, uh, she's well, she's just very sex positive, I guess, in all, all manner. Although I say that she also blackmails a father because he was attempting to rent porn. So how sex positive is she? She's, she wields that like a weapon as well. Uh, but Ben Affleck is game for this. I, I remember from the evening with Kevin Smith that he was really pushing Kevin to write something like chasing Amy again. So he was all about this, but uh, you know, the biggest problem with the film is that it's not that it's written by Kevin Smith. It's that it's directed by Kevin Smith. And I think what you're talking about as far as, He's not used to working at this level. I don't know if he had all of his people that he had made his review of universe films with. I, I know at a certain point in his career, he's talked about how uh, the money men says you've got to replace your DP like this. <laughs> Going back to the, you don't make real movies. Can we please get some professionals in here? And it, it certainly looks slick and it looks like a step up from uh, certainly the, uh, what was going to be the, the Jersey uh, trilogy that expanded out to Dogma and Jane's Hunt Bob Strike Back. But I can tell by watching it, it's like Kevin Smith n- never seemed like comfortable with like trying to do his version of a grown up movie, even though this is certainly not as frank, uh, in, in content. Uh, but it, it feels like, He's really pressing here. He's really pushing himself. And the film is charming, and I think I think it does work. But I don't know if it really worked well enough for Kevin because he pretty quickly retreated back to, <laughs> to you know, to, uh, hey, let's make a movie where a dude is turned into a walrus, that sort of thing. And let's not even get into <laughs> yoga hosers. Like, it's – I wonder with you, you, you say this has sort of grown in steam for you. For me, it's it's grown even more depressing because Kevin Smith never made further steps to adulthood as a director. This is kind of as close as he got, and then it was uh, the fall again to immaturity. It's like you're reading my Apple Notes. Uh, This film does anger me. While I do like it a lot, it also reminds me of like the the trajectory where Kevin, I think, was going as a filmmaker versus where he is now, which. I don't want to say he's not a filmmaker, but I've seen the first few minutes of Yoga Hosers. I sat through the Jay and Silent Bob reboot, and I honestly, I don't know how I sat through that thing. Like, he's clearly still making what's technically in the purest definition of film, but it just doesn't feel like the same 
person who made Jersey Girl. Which, hey, you know, maybe most of his fans would agree. Like, yo, he, that wasn't very good. But the thing is, and, you know, I also actually talk about how, oh, my God, I want to see that director's cut. I want to see that long version, which he references in the audio commentaries when the DVD came out. And this is over a decade later and we still don't have it. Honestly, at this point, I don't want to see that director's cut because it's not the same director who's making the cuts. I I can't. Like, oh, you're expecting a George Lucas-style version of... <laughs> Jersey girl. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what I'm expecting. But I know that the filmmaker that Kevin is now is different than the one he, uh, he was in 2004. So the product is going to be different. Uh, recently, Wong Kar Wai uh, came out with uh, his his Criterion box set and his films. Uh, he changed the aspect ratios and the color grading for In the Mood for Love and Fallen Angels and, and films that are that. He made these edits because he was like, this is how I originally envisioned the film, but we had some issues back then, and this is how they came out. But the thing is, the viewer has a level of ownership to those versions, and so people were upset. And the way he described it, he's like, I'm a different filmmaker now than I was back then, and this is the version of the film that I want to have out now. And that angered a lot of people. But And that's how I look at kevin smith now it's like he's a different filmmaker so he can't go back and make that director's cut so honestly this is the version and honestly the blu-ray is out of print at this point as well uh there are rights issues same with dogma harvey weinstein the person owns dogma not miramax jersey girls out of print dogma's out of print i have no idea when they're going to be back in either kevin's hands or another company where he'll be able to do any of that um, as for the look of the film that you mentioned, yes, it does look much slicker than some of his other work. And the way he described it in uh, this wonderful little book that um, I recently came across called Kevin Smith's Secret Stash, A Visual History of the VSQ Universe. Really, really fantastic reading. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Mike. Uh, it He talks about his... His relationship with the DP, who he wanted, uh, obviously... Um, Dave Klein because uh, they weren't able to work with him on Dogma because, again, it was that whole, like, well, movie making is not about hanging out with your friends, Kevin. You know, that, that concept. Uh, so Harvey Weinstein and Miramax, they lined up uh, Vilmos Zygmunt. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his Hungarian name, but this is the guy that was the DP for Close Encounters, you know? I mean, and, and Kevin was like, you're going to get deer that. Yes, exactly. Get the guy who shot the deer hunter for <laughs> Jersey Girl. <laughs> and as Kevin described it in this book, he's like, I was essentially making what looks like a TV movie. And the whole time, this guy, he would look at the dailies and be like, where are all the wide shots? What, everything's in close up. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And Kevin's like, well, this is, I want to get right to my dialogue. And so there was a... I don't want to say friction, but it seemed like it was just a mismatch between DP and director. So, and and ultimately, even Kevin admits, like, hey, this is a great-looking film, possibly the best-looking film that he's ever made. That's because of the DP that he got to work with, who got along really well with Ben Affleck because Ben has, like, some Hungarian ancestry. His middle name is Hungarian, so the two of them got along real uh, well. Come on now. That's gotta be bullshit. It's just that Ben Affleck's like, oh, I'm gonna look good for once in a Kevin Smith movie. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> yes, like me that way. I appreciate that. Ben was already kind of a director in training at that point, so he had a great time working with this legendary uh, director of photography. 
yet again uh, showing that Kevin Smith uh, peaked way early because <laughs> you assume just hanging around a set, like someone like, you know, the, the guy that likes to uh, have sex with underage girls um, anally and mall rats, the guy that was destined to always be the super douchebag in movies, goes on to direct an Oscar-winning Best Picture film after winning an Oscar for writing the screenplay uh, to another film. Kevin didn't pick up any of those tips. Ben Affleck's just absorbing all of it. Kevin, no. There's an eagerness to please um, with Kevin Smith. It's a weird dichotomy, but also uh, a stubbornness to not step out of his comfort zone, which makes his failures probably really interesting. I would include Zach and Miri make a porno as well, which was an, an attempt like sort of post uh, Judd Apatow humor kind of, uh, bro humor and the American public also slapped him in the face said, no, not you. Now Judd Apatow and all of his people, yeah, you can have your Seth Rogen, but we won't watch him if he's associated with you, Kev. Uh, you know, I, I do think that he was genuinely hurt by this. It was interesting to watch this one with my wife. I, I, I did text you about that saying, uh, you, you compared it cause I believe we were going to record something and it was going to interrupt our, our Jersey girl screening at the distant home. And you, you said I should have used the same excuse I did for her first time watching the Godfather, which is, you know, cancel everything else. No, all podcast commitments go because we're watching the Godfather and or Jersey girl. The same, <laughs> same, same. Um, I will admit to you, and this this will probably please you and you know anyone that I, I suppose is not uh, hate listening to a Jersey Girl uh, podcast. That my wife watched it, uh, she loved it, and then afterwards I was kind of telling her, I'm like, well, you know, this is uh, one of those films that like is kind of notoriously like hated online, and it was interesting to hear her viewpoint from someone that's not exposed to any of that discourse, who just approaches it as here's a movie with Ben Affleck and his daughter, and she goes, why? Why, like, why would anyone, why would anyone hate this? And, you know, it's not coming from that internet place of if I like it, everyone must, but basically, and it's refreshing and sad to hear. She's like, why would anyone take the time to hate this? Either this is your thing or it's not, but why would this movie of all movies be picked on as like Jersey Girl? Ugh, what a train wreck. What a disaster. She was totally into it. She loved the father-daughter dynamic. She loved uh, Liv Tyler uh, with the meat cute. She loved George Carlin as the dad, who's, who's my favorite part. He, and he does add a great bit of levity uh, at the end, where at the bar where he's talking about he just doesn't want to die alone, like how he's inherited uh, this basically family sitcom kind of comedy trappings of like my son has to move back in the house. He brings his kid with him. And all of my guy friends are doing like the three men and the baby type thing. They're all participating in a musical. I understand that all of this sounds bad <laughs> as I speak to the <laughs> internet. I can only attest that my wife, like this is like been one of her favorite things we've ever watched for a podcast. She really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm right there with her as well. And I, I wish I could not be part of that discourse. For the most part I'm not, but it's still in the periphery of my vision, constantly nagging away at me. And, you know, I, I, while I genuinely enjoy this film, I understand that it's not breaking any ground. It has its, you know, kind of generic and cliche aspects to it. But the thing is, they are all done through Kevin Smith's perspective and the dialogue and just the way that he constructs a film, or at least used to, and the way that he used to write films. And so I think that in and of itself gives it enough of a twist on a lot of these familiar trappings. 
I, I, you know, we talked a lot about the production. Well, at least I did. So I, I do apologize for my own, like, little, all the research that I did. I just, I, I need to spill all of it out because I just think it's so fascinating. Uh, and, and it, it is really where the film ultimately took the shape that it is now. But, um, I do want to talk about one scene in particular, which I, I, I think it might be possibly the most controversial. And it's the scene where Ben yells at Gertie. It hurt. That scene hurt me quite a bit. You know, it's it's tough for any actor who has to yell at a child in a scene, you know, and bring her to tears. But it's like, now, I haven't had that showdown with my three-year-old because I think that would just be <laughs> insane because she can't comprehend what I am, you know, um, <laughs> like, I could have bought more comics. <laughs> None of that. <laughs> <laughs> But I know where he's coming from. I've had those moments where this kid frustrates me to the point where it's like I can't do something or be something because I know that she is here and now my responsibilities have changed. And it's like I can see myself in Ben's shoes in that moment. And and a, re- a one that always like the tension is there, the emotion is there, and it's the whole film is kind of building to that conflict. And I I absolutely, like, love the film in that moment. That's, like, kind of the height for me. What about you? Do you have a favorite scene? Well, I like to think of you uh, because, you know, I had a conversation uh, just texting as we normally do every day. And uh, you made mention, I believe it was when you got your Batman tickets, which I also got my Batman tickets. And, you you know, it's like, you know, Spider-Man and Batman. <laughs> You're <laughs> contributing to the demise of the yes. ad- adult films. Uh, in theaters that, you know, Jersey Girl, honestly, would probably be a part of now. Maybe, maybe they were going for a little bit of a younger audience, but certainly this would be playing to the, you know, 50, 45 and up, I would say now, crowd. Yeah. Uh, everyone else is just going to wait for streaming, uh, ignore it entirely. Um, what, whereas myself, this week, I saw that Licorice Pizza was coming back around to theaters. I'm like, I get to double dip, swipe the Regal Unlimited card, and you've sort of lamented that. That's yeah. as close. I want to see the, the uh, I guess it would be the like DC Girl movie <laughs> with you and you yelling at your child because you miss licorice pizza. <laughs> I regret <laughs> you being born. <laughs> I'm relegated just to superhero movies. I hate you too, you little shit. I used to be a cinephile. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite scene. Uh, I already mentioned George George Carlin's. It's not really a scene as, so much as it's just him having like a, a moment that he uh, he's sort of caught off guard uh, by his son. And he's caught off guard by his life at that moment, which I, I I do like. Where he's he's both you know he's just feeling very sentimental. Um, I probably lean more into you know as I started this discussion the woulda coulda shoulda of Kevin Smith and the banter and the chemistry uh between Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck uh while it is forced in that rom-com style way like most meet cutes are uh I lament that we didn't get a sickly sweet pure rom-com from Kevin Smith like actually you know rewatching Jersey Girl um I've I've come to adore it more Whereas Zach and Miri, I probably have more distaste because I'm like, yeah, you tried your sweetness, but you also have someone like shitting on someone else's face in it. And <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like you're too afraid to grow up, man. And, 
any of these sort of uh, video store moments or just even at the diner where Liv Tyler, uh, where she sort of steps in it. Uh, where she's, she, you know, she's she's ribbing him about the amount of porn he's watching, bringing his daughter to, to to rent or you know aspire to rent Dirty Dancing. Meanwhile, he's accidentally uh, renting uh, gay pornography, and then in the most <laughs> like straight man way, saying, "Oh no, no, not that, not the Seinfeld. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but I just I grabbed <laughs> the wrong box." Um, but she, you know, she sort of makes the accusation like, "Hey, where's you know, where's the wife or whatever?" And you know, they have that. It's handled in a way that I really dig by Liv Tyler. She 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 managed to to ground this. She's like a real person while also being the girl that you aspire for the leading man to get with cuz she's so charming. So, yeah, Liv Tyler's probably the MVP for me. I think she she's she sort of lights up uh the, the screen, but um it's a, it's a sad movie, Webb, cuz it's <laughs> Kevin Smith never got back there and also to a certain extent Liv Tyler never got, you know, I you know what I blame I guess I'll just blame J-Lo like everyone else. Uh, oh. Because this was a box office failure, Liv Tyler never got to be uh, you know, the, the attempted rom-com star of the 2000s because of that damn J-Lo. Look at her. Now she's she's a Marry Me. She's a, in, a, in a peacock joint. Everything's great for her. Where's Liv Tyler? <laughs> Everything's coming up J-Lo. <laughs> you know, I would argue that I think Will Smith handles that moment kevin kind of brings that same moment back around will as i mean he's just a big ball of charm and he handles that hmm. scene perfectly as well he's just as relatable. With you. oh no he doesn't offer to fuck ben affleck like Liv tyler <laughs> <laughs> i've stepped in it <laughs> can i offer you some sex i, I am the fresh prince <laughs> once in a lifetime opportunity do you or do you not want to get jiggy with it right here, Ben? That's that's the version. That's the director's cut that we need now. Last uh, last little bit on Jersey Girl that I want to uh, touch upon is that concept of growing up. We've talked about it. This is like maybe Kevin Smith trying to grow up. And he modeled the film after John Hughes kind of grown up film. Uh, She's having a baby. Uh, which I was like, I need to go see She's Having a Baby because like, I'm doing as much research on Jersey Girl as possible. I guarantee you this will be our least listened to episode. <laughs> 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 and on that note, I disliked She's Having a Baby quite a bit. I think it's a film that works maybe on paper, but in execution. Mm-hmm. I was like, this ain't no John Hughes. Uh, and not, not that I'm in love with his uh, teenage angst work, but I, I do love Breakfast Club. I'm sorry. I'm just one of those basic individuals who just like, I, I, I'm right there. Sometimes the mainstream popular opinion, I, I just happen to side with it at this one. I, I love to be a contrarian. Uh, um, just for the hell of it, but <laughs> no, I can't. I love the Breakfast Club. Yeah, the, she, uh, she's having a baby. Ain't ain't no Breakfast Club. There's barely any baby in it, actually. And so uh, there are scenes that Kevin took directly from this film that are uh, visible in Jersey Girl. And it's funny that he's like, well, he loves she's having a baby, and he modeled jersey girl after it and of course the the box office and reception very similar which is a shame uh but but that's okay i'm 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 glad i'm I'm happy that this film exists i'm happy it it exists in the current form that it's in um and honestly it got me into sweeney todd as well i dig sweeney todd in a big way the burton movie's okay but the angela lansbury uh 
Uh, the, there's a DVD out of that perform the final performance they did on Broadway. Just gorgeous. So Jersey Girl's a gift that keeps on giving for me. <laughs> I think on that note, people are going to be like, yeah, it's probably good. This thing's out of print. Stop <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> well, we tried once before and we almost succeeded, but damn trilogy in theory <laughs> keeps bringing it back up. Yeah.